Jack Easton. I'm here. I'm I am uh, sleep deprived. But you know what? If I start rambling, no one would know any different because I just do that anyway. So it's yeah. actually this is foolproof. Yeah, we we frequently tell people that you just like hopped up on amphetamines and haven't slept in six days. So yep, it's, that's it's totally fine. Works for me. It's a good way to do it. Uh, also joining us today, Adam Myros. Yes, uh, I'm not sleep deprived, but. I may still come across that way. Wow. Wow. Big fucking flex, buddy. We're making big promises this episode. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Listen, I've, I've, I've been up since like 8 a.m. I've had a very productive day. You know what I did? I went to, I went to the fucking zoo with, a, with an infant. How about that? Huh? Where did you that. find an infant? Uh, you can get them anywhere these days, really. Like, they're just around. You just fucking snatch one up. You got one. Uh, nice. No, I, I, I it, the infant had a mom, and uh, Susan was with me, too, so... I didn't actually have, I wasn't responsible for the child. Uh, I, I did feed him a French fry, though, and he immediately took a shit after I gave it to him. So I think that's pretty cool. Anytime you can give a kid a French fry and he shits and you don't have to change the diaper, big win. Big, big win. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I still don't like kids, which is why uh, we're not talking about children today. We're talking about elderly Japanese men shooting each other in the head, as we frequently do. Uh, because we are continuing on in our journey today of doing Takeshi Kitano's films in the most ass-backwards way humanly possible. <laughs> At least we stuck to an actual trilogy. Uh, yeah, so we, we, we could have we gone worse. We could have done two of these in one other movie. Yeah, yeah. There, there are actually ways for us to do this worse, but uh, I, I wouldn't call what we're doing ideal, but that's all right, because we do whatever the fuck we want. And you could listen to these in any order, because we're going to cover a bunch of his films, you want to listen? You want to listen to us talk about the hits, huh? You want Sonatine or whatever? Fine, it'll be a future episode. We'll get there. Don't worry about it. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Think how enriching that's going to feel for us once we've uh, slogged through these ones. Once we get to the real, the real plan. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Myro's confirmed outrage hater. Uh, but yeah, we are we are covering the outrage trilogy today, and and this is kind of interesting because not only is it not the best place to start if you're new to Katano. But I think if you're not familiar with or a big fan of classic uh, Yakuza films to begin with, a lot of what's going on here is is not going to connect, I, I don't think. I mean, I would kind of admit, maybe this is a great place to start with for Katano, because this is like Katano kind of almost like saying, fine, I'll just I'll go back to making the movies you all want. But maybe yeah. they're not the best movies he's made, which makes this even better. Like, these are these are real Yakuza movies, but then I think he has better movies in the 90s, so mm -hmm. maybe maybe, mm -hmm. maybe this is a good place to start. Maybe, maybe we're on to something here. Yeah, it's possible. And I have to say, too, Takeshi Kitano doing boilerplate Yakuza movies late in his career is still a thousand times more interesting than almost anything else you can watch right now. So it's not like you're you're <laughs> jumping in at the complete wrong point. There's still it's, something It's here. true. I, I would imagine. I haven't seen it, but I just have a feeling all three of these movies are better than Cocaine Bear. Just inkling I've got. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think the advantage Cocaine Bear has is you could like do laundry while you're watching it, whereas if you tried to do that, I think you would be forced to shut th these movies off after like 15 minutes when you're like, what the fuck? 
Who are all these characters? What's happened? Yeah, that's true. I yeah. mean, I'm glad it's I the suppose that would only be an issue if a cocaine bear had multiple bears and they all had different mm-hmm. names and objectives and they were all but trying to backstab each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and this is a classic, uh, just kind of a hallmark with the genre, genre, if you ask me, which is I know a Yakuza movie is good when there's 80,000 different characters constantly like killing, fighting, double-crossing each other, and I don't know who the fuck anyone is. I, I need to keep, like, a <laughs> like a like my notes app open so I can make sure I know who's who. And then I got little nicknames for guys. Like, oh, that's that's Sunglasses. I know him. He's he's the guy who did this thing. And, yeah, uh... 100%. And, yeah, part, part of, the, part of the, the, the genre is just making certain guys, the important guys, look visually distinctive. Because even Japanese people aren't going to remember all of the names. They're not going to. No. No, you just, yeah, yeah. so one of goes like, okay, yeah, there's a guy in the glasses, there's a guy with, like, the ostentatious haircut, there's the more elderly guy. Yeah, you know, a lot of shorthand. It's important. Yep. Very important. And I think part of the reason why I love the, uh, Outrage from 2010 so much is because it it reminds me a lot of a classic, like, Kinji Fukusaku movie, uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, because there is there's a prime example of a series of films where you really need to write down (laughs) characters and who they're associated with and what the fuck they're doing. Otherwise you're not going to have any idea. If if you blink, if you fucking sneeze in whether you're watching the outrage or battles without honor and humanity, you're going to miss something that is going to completely throw you for a loop. Yeah. We were talking Um, about this with with Adam. I I think it's like arrow did the big, um, Battles of that honor and humanity box set, and there's mm-hmm. a book. The book in it comes with like literally like a visual tree of all of the people you need to know about. <laughs> yeah, because it's important. And, yeah, because because yeah, it swaps around. There's a lot. There's a lot of intrigue, and I mean, that's a kind of the the mainstay of all three of these films is this kind of intrigue. It's basically this conception of the Yakuza as uh, an organization forged by rules except the rules are complete nonsense because everyone is making their own power play uh, with yeah. various different allegiances that are all double-crossing each other simultaneously. And then the police are also doing that too. And that's your movie. Yeah, it's great. And it's kind of a fun structure too because I think compared to like an Italian mob movie or something like that, um, there is a degree of order within the Yakuza families and just how they're structured that I don't think you get in, you know, Italian mafia movies. And it makes it even more fun when, like you said, when all these families are double crossing each other and they have alliances, but one alliance conflicts with another alliance. And uh, yeah, it has it has a lot of flavor to what you're seeing. Yeah. And, I think one of the, the, the fun things with Asian gangster movies, particularly, and I've seen this something in Japan and certainly in Korea as well, and uh, honestly China as well to a degree, is that like, they're, they have like, organized crime has like tiers, and there are the like, the big wigs in their suits that, you know, everybody's respectful for, and they have sit down meetings, and they discuss this and that, but then there's also just this like, tier of just dirtbag losers on every mm-hmm. street corner who are affiliated with these people. They are the lowest level soldiers and they're just like children make fun of them and they're just losers <laughs> and they don't make any money. And it's like mob movies don't really show that tier. Like the soldiers in mob movies are still like fairly respectable guys. Typically uh, there are some exceptions, but it's like 
the, the I feel like the American romanticization of uh, of of the the organized crime syndicate kind of played up a little bit more of like the, the organization and the kind of family aspect. Whereas the like Yakuza movies, they're completely fine with just going like, no, they're all dirtbags, and some of them are just real mm-hmm. losers. Like they're just real <laughs> dopey morons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely not any romanticization of uh, of this world in in these films, especially as they move on. Uh, I guess I don't know. Maybe this genre is not entirely for me. I don't know. I I like the the later entries in the series more, which are certainly more divergent from the strict like Yakuza format. But I I don't know. This, I found this movie a little difficult to. Wow. Connect with and also it's one of those movies that makes you like wish you spoke Japanese or something like I bet you this would work a lot better <laughs> if I wasn't like beholden to the subtitles. I love the way they say I, I get I get the sense I'm probably missing some subtext of what Katana was doing here because these movies feel like there's a, at some level a satirical bench to them that is not necessarily coming through in the translation and yeah, it, it becomes kind of hard to parse his intent, especially because, yeah, I, I don't know what he was trying to do with this movie. There's a part of me that thinks this is not a straightforward Yakuza movie and that he's he's really uh, still kind of in that introspective, grumpy mode where he's kind of like making this thing to, to antagonize uh, his audience. But that could be a total misread on my purpose it, it's kind of the, the sense i got out let, of it. let me tell you something jack and i are here trying to stop asian hate and somehow we got the number one <laughs> hater right here in our midst <laughs> what happened no i think you know i mean <laughs> yes, i would agree with myers i think i think there's an element to the first one particularly and um, yeah going back to the previous trio we we discussed uh which were kind of i don't know if he calls it that but it kind of has become known as this like trilogy of self-destruction with takashi's glory to the filmmaker and Achilles and the tortoise that are kind of like Katano tearing apart his his artistic directives and trying to figure out what he's doing and becoming very much, you know, an introspective cloistered filmmaker. And the films did not do well anywhere, really. Um, and certainly didn't get Western distribution at all. And, you know, kind of, you know, sort of difficult films to parse. And I, we quite liked them, ultimately, um, as we discussed in the last episode about Katano's films. But there was, I think, the feeling... And I think Katana was well aware of it, and Outrage seems maybe symbolic of it, of that it was kind of like, okay, you just want me to make Yakuza movies. Fine, here's here's your Yakuza movie. And he made Outrage, and Outrage is, is interesting because it is, um, it, it's still very much a Katano film, but it, it lacks a lot of the lyricism and the kind of like unusual tangents that kind of defined his work in the 90s, like Sonatine mm-hmm. and Hanabi and, and Boiling Point, these like really, which had these really lyrical, unusual passages in them. Um, all, all of that is excised here. This is absolutely just like a palace intrigue kind of setup of just a bunch of different dudes making moves and everything just ends in bloodshed. Uh, it's a very kind of lean, mean gangster movie. Um yeah. And to that degree, kind of, you know, it, it is different to the stuff that he kind of made his name with in the 90s. And you almost wonder to to a certain extent, is this is this movie kind of somewhat metatextually another joke of Katana? to go like, fine, you, you want this? Here you go. Here's here's the film without, you know, I've stripped out all the stuff that even, you know, I used to do. This is just 
man, man walks into room, guns down a bunch of people, and then, you know, repeat that scene eight times over, because that's all it is, you know, it's just, it's backstabbing and backstabbing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I know that Wiggy said he, like, conceived the kills before uh, he wrote the plot to the right. film, like it's a fucking Saw sequel or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, well, I mean, and I think that plays into this conception that it's kind of like, okay, you know, this is, this is my my return to commercial cinema. And so there is that element of like, how seriously should we take anything Catano produces on that level? Cause like, like Catano doesn't need the money from mm-hmm. making movies. Like he's hugely popular in other avenues. He's as a TV celebrity. I'm pretty sure he, you know, he, he wields an enormous amount of authority and fame in Japan. And I'm sure lots and lots of money too. He doesn't have to be a filmmaker so to a degree, you know, any of his movies could probably be considered just indulgent in and of themselves. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to do this. Uh, I, I will say that, like, you know, we talked about how this may or may not be a good place to jump into Katano. But uh, while the outrage movies kind of lack that that lyricism, they do key in on two very important parts of what makes a Katano film a Katano film. And one is the way he presents violence. And the other is sort of his oddball sense of humor, and both of which are present to varying degrees in, in all three of these. And it's interesting, there's an interview that he gave at the 2010 Cannes Film Festival uh, where Outrage was in competition. And he said that, uh, while I was writing the script and while I was shooting, my intention was that all the violence should look as painful as possible because that's how it is in real life. Violence is a painful thing. So just just thinking about the way that he stages everything there's there's really no glorification it's it's almost like the anti john wick where when you when you watch john wick it, it's it's almost like a ballet or or it's it's almost like comparing professional wrestling to to mma you know there's there's a a real gracefulness and a, and a dance quality to to the wwe but when you're watching mma half the time it's just like two dudes laying on top of each other and one guy happens to be snapping the other guy's arm in half but you're not really you know, you're, you're not seeing, <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's exciting. And that's kind of how Katano frequently stages his violence. Like people don't run into rooms and start shooting. They, they barely can, can muster up the energy to lift their arms to fire the guns. <laughs> Everyone's just standing still sort of pointing guns at each other and, and shooting each other in the head. Uh, and, and even the parts where it, it kind of goes outside of the gun violence and uh, into I guess more creative things. It it really is just brutal, brutal, just still shots, like non-moving camera. I, I keep going back to the the scene where there's a, a Yakuza leader and he's he's at the dentist. And of course, like I had to go to the dentist uh the next day after watching this. Um <laughs> nice. And and literally Takeshi Kitano's character, Atoma, he's just he's just standing over this guy talking to him. And then he takes the drill from from the, the dentist and he just kind of like shoves it into the guy's mouth and just kind of like rubs it around like it's a fucking electric toothbrush. You just see all this blood spurting up. But the camera's not moving or cutting and there's no, you know, dramatic music stings. Really, all you hear is the buzz of a drill and an unflinching shot for like 15 seconds of this guy just getting his <laughs> mouth torn the fuck up. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, so in, in terms of like, heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, a bullet riddled would be uh, the best way to describe a lot of Katano's action sequences because his action sequences, yeah, are very, they're quite static. They're they're kind of like shot in 
kind of like specifically kind of like almost shot reverse shot kind of like conversations they're not they're Mm -hmm. not like flowing moving pieces um kind of like it's interesting like almost like johnny toe does action but he does it in a lot of like tableau still compositions too but johnny toe still has this like elegant kind of stylization katano has much more like he kind of pairs it down to just two different sects of guys in a room just blasting yeah. each other until this is like, everyone's dead. It's like dead. watching an episode of Succession, but they're shooting each other instead of talking. Like that. Basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is. And it's it's and it, it reminds me a little bit, honestly, of uh, Kimura. Probably is one of the the other film that you know kind of like captures just this kind of like senseless bloodshed of just you know that a gang hit is essentially just like some often like just some young disposable just punk who's trying to make a name for himself and also has to follow orders, just showing up somewhere with a pistol and just trying to put as many bullets in some guy as he can to make sure he's dead. And then that, you know, that's it. That's the whole thing. And maybe someone else shoots him then. And it's just like this ceaseless kind of circular, uh, kind of violence within it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, th- that's kind of the outrage films. And I, I suppose uh, fundamentally this one, I think sets up for, for the trilogy kind of sets up, this is the one that kind of gives, I think, the most credence to the Yakuza as having any kind of a structure in terms of, like, etiquette and formal proceedings, mm-hmm. which it then proceeds to tear down. I mean, I thought it was kind of funny that the, the English language tagline for the film is like, one wrong move and it's all out war, which isn't really an accurate summation because, like, really, <laughs> like no. from prior to the first frame, the war is already happening. Like, it's inevitable because there's various different schisms within the family that are all making their moves. Like, the war is going to happen. It's not even a question of, you know, one wrong move. It's like the fundamental language of the game is war and everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And the, the, the concept within all three of these films is essentially that Kitano's uh, kind of older Yakuza Otomo, who has been kind of variously passed over for things and is kind of respected as an old school gangster and uh, mm-hmm. essentially kind of sets himself apart from the rest by basically having very little tolerance for other people's bullshit, which yeah. normally results in him just gunning people down. That's that's mm-hmm. primarily what happens. He just gets yeah, mad it, and he's like, okay. It's also like almost this absence of ambition that sets him apart too because yes. everyone else is scheming to move up and he seems to not give a shit even in the, in the third film is like well we're gonna set you up with your own family he's like i don't fucking want <laughs> all right i mean yeah because i mean the fundamental lesson of this thing is if you were the boss of a family that means that your underboss wants your job like that's mm-hmm. that's everything in the film is it kind of like peels back to that and yeah, I, I think it is kind of a, a recurring element within this is, particularly in the second film, I think is almost um, kind of keys in on Katano's passivity as a performer, you know, because Katano is a very still, pre- laconic presence in almost all mm-hmm. of its films. He doesn't deliver monologues and things. He normally just screams and calls someone an idiot and then he shoots everyone. That's like a lot of his films or else like he, he laughs a lot. He does this wonderful like kind of deadpan smirk that, you know, in these films particularly, is probably going to result in someone getting horribly injured afterwards, you know, but, like, mm-hmm. he has his own sense of humor that he brings to his character. But, um, like, it is interesting that part of, I think, the the drive behind these films is the passivity of Otomo, the character that Katano is playing, is that he's not really scheming particularly. 
but he's often compelled to act because other people assume he's scheming and want to take him out or reposition him. And so, like, there's multiple times where he's kind of like, I'm out, I don't care, screw this. And then someone, someone in another room, like some guys are mean, is like, okay, well, we need to kill Otomo because he's, he's going to do something. And so they try that. And then what is it? What choice does he have? He has to go and get revenge. And it's like this recurring cycle of like kind of missed connections from a group of people who like essentially are a tightly bound family who have no communication whatsoever. They're, they're, everyone is working in like their own little atomized universes based on you know, secret mm-hmm. treaties and so on. I mean, it really, like, particularly the first Outrage film is, is very much kind of a, like a political thriller in the context of, like, it's, it's almost like World War One. You know, it's, it's like everyone has their treaties with other people. No one knows who's allied with who, and then they're all forced to take action at a certain point, and it just means they all tear each other apart. There's, yeah. you know, no one benefits from any of this. It's not a, it's not a useful business structure at all. Um, no, and no. of course, and, and, and again, then the fallout, the fallout from right. every single violent outburst is hilarious because it's like someone else has moved into a position of power, but you know that they're going to get fucked over because someone needs to get revenge for the last hunk of violence that happened. And then, especially in the first movie, I love this, this kind of reoccurring line where uh, one of the higher ups will be like, yeah, you know. As soon as things kind of calm down and blow over, then we're going to give you X, Y, and Z, which basically <laughs> just means that they're setting this guy up to get fucked over and killed. <laughs> and it yep. happens like five different times. Yeah, I think I think every time they offer someone like a t- oh, like a piece of turf, it's like every single time it's so we can take it back later. Like they're yeah. everyone's a patsy. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's kind of like and the outrage is an interesting element to it. Something that I don't necessarily see a lot in Yakuza films. A lot of them are very kind of internal normally you know if there's any antagonism it's between the gangs and the police which outrage also has a heavy police presence that particularly comes for in uh outrage beyond or beyond outrage because they swap the the words in the english language title for reasons we don't understand but whatever (laughs) um but also in the first one we have this weird like interesting political aspect too because there's an african foreign minister who basically is like on the take and the Yakuza find out he's on the take, so they kind of bring him in to, like, kind of, like, with promises of, like, you know, we can give you more stuff, and then, of course, instantly set him up with blackmail so that they can literally set up a casino in diplomatic grounds so the police can't search them. Which, you know, is there's there's these, like, really fun tangents within just that, that all kind of speak towards this, like, overwhelming sense of corruption that kind mm-hmm. of, like, um is kind of worming into everything and i think really comes to the fore in parts two and three there's like a real bitterness to those films i think from katano like again i think if if katano is kind of saying like hey you know okay i'm going back to my roots or whatever but i'm you know filing off the rough edges the one rough edge that that is still absolutely present is there's just a real kind of uh nihilism almost or a cynicism or pessimism about everything in these films like this there's no you know these gangsters have no lives but japan itself also is offering nothing to them there's no vision of a normal life in japan in any of these films you know it's and the collateral damage is standard uh it kind of yeah like very miserable view of of society 
Well, and, and it really is like there's there's nothing for these guys, which is why none of them want to retire, even though there's there's targets on their backs if, if they're if they're the leader of their respective family. And it, it's great, too, because a lot of this kind of plays back into Katano's sense of humor, especially in, in the second movie. I think it, it really it pops a little bit more because it's less interested in the double crosses and the twisting and turning. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit more focused on a on a, on a linear story. <laughs> And Kitano's humor is just fucking great. And it, so another interview around the uh, the Outrage movies, he was talking about how he sort of sees humor in, in his films, even though he's made so many that are, I mean, very fucking serious. You know, he's, he's only made a handful of, of straight up comedies. And Kitano said, I think comedy and humor have this demonic element to them. Uh, it's always prepared to raise its ugly head to seep into the situation the more serious and sacred the situation is, the funnier it is when something goes wrong, uh, <laughs> which is which is wonderful. And there is there's this great scene in Beyond Outrage or Outrage Beyond or whatever the fuck, where this guy who worked for him in the first Outrage movie, um, he he gets kind of he gets captured and he's in front of Atoma and. He is begging, like on his hands and knees. He's like, oh my God, please don't kill me. I'll do anything, blah, blah. He actually like pisses himself. It's a very serious moment. He's like, anything. And then uh, Katano's character, Toma, is like, anything? And he's like, anything. And he goes, let's play baseball. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? And then it's like cut to this guy at a batting cage, like tied to a fucking chair. <laughs> and Takeshi Katano is just launching 90 mile per hour fastballs at this guy's fucking head. <laughs> and then there's this great long shot from the perspective of the, the pitching machine. And you're just like watching this guy who is clearly not alive anymore, just getting fucking balls dinging off his skull. And it's it's fucking brutal, but it's it's hilarious. And it's I think it's great the perfect encapsulation of his humor. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a great shot because, yeah, it's like the pause in between because, you know, the pitch pitching machines obviously take a while to wind up to give you a chance to reset. And this mm -hmm. like, I think we go through like four phases of, of a ball just being pelted off the guy's head. Oh, just, yeah. Just this cruel, mean kind of a thing. And I think Outrage Beyond is certainly it feels to me like the most cogent, maybe criticism of Japanese society broad, mm -hmm. more broadly because the kind of theme of it is that the Yakuza has been supplanted by a kind of jet set executive capitalist mindset a kind of a, a commercial kind of idea and the the you know the new leader of the family is kind of a younger guy who's very much interested in you know kind of moving stocks and corporate efficiency you know if you're not making money you're gone like if you're not if you're mm -hmm. not the most profitable leader you'll be replaced this idea of you know like metrics and things like this where you know very cutthroat concept which is, is actually you know a very corporate concept um you know and i think this is something like interesting enough between uh outrage beyond and outrage coda the second and third films in this trilogy uh, katano did stop to make another film called ryuji and the seven henchmen which is a really peculiar comedy mostly a comedy like you know um mm -hmm. but basically an old man yakuza comedy and it's it's literally starring like a who's who of like incredible older japanese actors like guys who've been in like just absolutely like astonishing number of like masterpieces the lead actor i mean it's a guy from in the realm of senses and empire of passion and so on um but but 
it's it's kind of an unusual one because it is essentially a comedy, but it is also very much a film about Katano, I think, being kind of disgusted with contemporary Japanese society, with the fact that, you know, there's no structure or stability for regular people anymore, uh, that everything has been, that literally everything is a scam now, which is very relatable even, you know, for, you know, for us in the West as well. I mean, I think it's, you you go online now and you really, you know, people talking about how, you know, Google doesn't work anymore. You know, the top results of Google are scams. You go on Amazon, you search for something, it's all counterfeit, you know, nonsense or rip-off products. We get like eight phone calls a day that we don't bother answering anymore because we just know it's an automated robocall. It's like we're at this stage of capitalism where everything's just a scam. Every piece of infrastructure is simply exists to allow scammers more access to us you know, to the point like, like, when's the last time a company or a corporate innovation has actually made life better? I mean, the, the, the dot com boom kind of was bring promising all kinds of things, brought this radical shift to the way we organized everything. And, you know, I think there was some significant changes in the way we did things that were probably better in you know, the move online, certainly opened up new realms of access and usability for a lot of people. And now everything is getting worse again and everything is kind of like not working the way it was. And I think that's kind of like, the setup of Ryuju and the Seven Henchmen is kind of like this old gang of, of former Yakuza decide they'll reform their own family and take on essentially a kind of like former bikers who've just kind of formed like kind of a a low-level thug gang that just go around and they just run various scams and, you know, they, they sell people shitty products, they run, you know, stupid protection schemes and so on. Um, same idea in Outrage Beyond, you know, it's, it's the kind of idea that, you know, the Yakuza are really just kind of like just following the quick money and they have no conception of, of you know, of the organized crime element. We, you know, isn't that, is that meant to mean something? The family element, the structure, the, you know, the, is any of that, does it matter? And I, I think it becomes fairly apparent. No, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> suffice no. fact they're all trying to kill each other. But, you know, it, it's like, it's kind of like in The Godfather. I mean, there are discussions of, you know, there was, it was a recurring theme of like, you know, should we sell drugs? Like, is that, there's money in it, but like, you know, we're, we're respectable criminals. Like we, do we want in on that? You know, similar kind of a vibe here. And there are just kind of interesting elements within, I think it's in Outrage Beyond where one of the, the former bosses deposed, there are many bosses are deposed throughout these three films. And one of them, and he just goes to the Pachinko arcade and he's just like the former head of the mafia or the former head of like the Yakuza, all the families just sitting dead-eyed in front of a pachinko machine sticking little balls in there because he has nothing else to do with his life now mm-hmm. he's just just another old man yeah that moment did stick out to me as well just because it, it kind of underlined what takeshi uh, was doing here because it was like he's so disinterested in that that sort of poetry because that that moment where he uh, you know otomo just comes in and sits down next to him and, you know, it, you're kind of used to, especially in, you know, Eastern film too, it, it, where that would be like the scene, right? He sits behind him and you know what comes next. You don't see what comes next. <laughs> but in this movie, no, it, it does not cut there. It, it does not cut at all. It's just like, no, we have to see fucking Otomo pull out a gun and pop him in the head. It's like, okay. Like everything okay. is ignominy. Everything is just like, mm-hmm. like... It's it's like uh, you imagine everything in this is like a closed casket funeral. Like there's no dignity to 
any phase of this. It's everyone's no. just waiting like, to to buy the farm in the most yeah despicable yeah. low level way possible. It's such a strange thing because that that feels like the end of the movie to me. Like you know, Otomo coming sitting next to him at the you know, it, it's just like there's there's your cut point. But no, these movies always continue on. Like there's always this sort of uh little addendum at the end where it's just like we gotta where it bleeds into the next thing you know you get this more intrigue at the end that's really kind of unrelated almost where yeah the first film ends with the assassination of the of the head of the family and it it feels almost like a, a scene from another movie you know it's just like they all kind of end that way well yeah i suppose even the third one does even though it's it's the end of the trilogy ostensibly it still has that addendum where, you know, you would think the movie's ending when he sends his friend back to, to Korea and there's no real reason why he doesn't go with him. Instead, there's this addendum where he just goes to a fucking junkyard and kills two people and then blows his own head off. And you're like, okay. Yeah, I suppose I guess the, the, the two guys he kills, I think, were they're like, that's a, an old crime. He's like, he's just tying up loose ends. Yeah, these were the two mm. men who were responsible for killing the man he partnered with in Beyond Outrage. Yeah. The guy whose face he sliced him. Yeah. yeah. So it's just <laughs> it, like, yeah. and it, you know, it is, it's like cleaning house. Um, I swear, yeah, there, there's some circular elements to this. Like the uh, the end of of the first outrage film has a scene that's actually very reminiscent of the final scene of Violent Cop, which was Takeshi Kitano's first film, which ended with the Violent Cop. Spoiler: the Violent Cop dies in Violent Cop, and he is replaced by guess what? Another corrupt cop. And it's just like <laughs> that's that's the end of that. That's what happens. The exact same thing happens in uh, Outrage. The the police officer, the police presence in this movie is uh, mostly a single officer who is very actively on the take and is specifically just trying to, like, his cooperation with the Yakuza is to kind of, like, clean up narratives and things so that he can close cases and say, someone's been arrested or we solved this, while actually, you know, tackling none of the actual crime. You know, no, no mm -hmm. one who's actually responsible has anything. And ultimately, he gets promoted. He's so good at this. And the final scene is him introducing his the, the the guy who's taken his old job to the yakuza boss to get his first paycheck from the yakuza to follow on and this becomes the the through line of um beyond outrage the second film which is which is essentially like like in terms of cynicism imagine yojimbo if yojimbo was a cop like that's kind of like the through line of the second movie is literally the police are playing all the families against each other to just cause slaughter because they are concerned that one family is a little bit too powerful, that they've become maybe ungovernable through the usual soft tactics that the police use to kind of navigate that. Mm -hmm. So they decide that the easiest solution for them is a gang war, you know, and just bodies in the street. Uh, you know, like, they'll, they'll, they'll all kill each other and we'll just kind of, like, clean up around the edges and arrest a few people here and there and that's fine. And it's, like, <laughs> this just deeply, deeply nasty vision of, of like, law and order where like, clearly it's just, there's neither <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, it, it's a strong, like, strangely bitter view of everything from uh, Katano, a man who was... Uh, by any metric, succeeded beyond any measure in his his native land. Uh, mm. Commercially, socially, he's uh, God. He like probably could run for emperor based on his status there. 
uh, if they still it's still allowed that um it's kind of a, a just peculiar um kind of a setup that he, that he's doing but I, but also very much intrinsic to all of his work i mean i i think and i think it is the thing that even if you, if outrage is katana kind of going okay you know you want you want the the old yakuza movies fine let's go like he still comes through in it his his humor his his cynicism it still kind of bleeds through and makes all three of these films quite distinctly Takeshi Kitano films. Yeah. Cause it's like, what's, what's the unifying emotion that every single character in all three of these movies have? And it's like disgust, I guess it's like <laughs> they, at some level, they, they all, they, they hate each other. They hate themselves. They hate what they're doing, but also they, they can't do anything else. So it really is. It's, it's perfect because it lines up all of this violence perfectly. Uh, Katano's cynicism just fits right in. But really, all these people are just fucking disgusted with everything. Uh, even yeah. to the point where, like, the old guard guys, they, they fucking hate everything. But they're like, now I hate everything even more because it's like a hedge fund where you just shoot your friends. Like, it's... <laughs> I don't yeah, I mean, there's a reason. There's a reason it feels familiar to American, you know, economics as well, because it is, you know, like mm -hmm. this is a disdain for this modernity is a disdain for America and what we reconstructed Japan's economy to be, and you know, it is this broad commentary that unfolds throughout the three films of of this sort of, you know, you're supplanting family and loyalty with just purposeless directionless ambition you know yeah. it, it is not serving to enrich anyone really any further they they already were comfortable in their position of power and wealth and yeah and that's kind of illustrated by otomo who's who's completely content with with his lot and not scheming for more but that's that's not the way it works in publicly traded companies you know there's no such thing as as being uh, stagnant and content with what you create. You, you must always be more profitable or, or else you're less profitable, which is... Yeah, it's like a quicker... An absurd notion. Yeah, it, of course, it's, it's prime for critique because it's complete absurdity. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, like a quicker turnaround because like, the corporate model is absolutely like, you know, infinite capital expansion, you know, infinite capital growth or economic growth, and, you know, which is impossible... And yet somehow is the, the, you know, kind of one of the foundational principles of Western economics is like, yeah, we'll just, we will, everything grows infinitely. And if it doesn't, then we have a problem. And it's like, that's going to happen repeatedly. And it has. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, I mean, corporations that pursue this have these just incredibly rocky, insane kind of like kind of growth patterns where, where group profit isn't enough. Money doesn't even matter. I mean, we're seeing, you know companies like Netflix leave money on the table pulling their films out of cinemas where they're making real money to prop up consumer numbers for God only knows what based on shareholder projections or whatever. Um, the concept, I guess, the Yakuza film can speed up the cycle because your, your next step is like, imagine companies who are constantly just trying to eat each other, like, you know, do aggressive takeovers. You know, this company takes over that company, that company takes over this one, this one comes back up and takes it back over, etc. It's like, imagine if you could speed that process up by having the CEOs all just murder each other. And, yeah. you know, I just, don't know, Jack, you didn't grow up in the Rust Belt. They pretty much, uh, you know, in, <laughs> in between the 60s and the 90s, GM basically, uh, they, they might as well be Otomo just fucking... 
wheeling into the room with a machine gun and cutting down everyone in Flint and Detroit. Yes. This is true. There are certainly some industries that were just completely annihilated. And I mean, it's pretty much what happened. I mean, in, in recent edition of time, I mean, the whole journalism industry has been pretty much destroyed by a select few tech companies. Unknown mistruths that never really amounted to anything. But, you know... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the the Yakuza film is a good model because, like I say, you can, can condense the absurdity very quickly, and it, you know, it becomes even in in Outrage Beyond, like the the one of the the main guys is a very corporate minded guy, and he ends up in a batting cage with his head being smashed open. Uh, but you know, that's but he's just another guy at the end of the day too. Someone just rolls in to replace him. There's always someone in the wings. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like where where the films keep running. Um, like it's it's always just this tit for tat, and everyone like you can expand constantly. But like you know, you, whatever you grab, you have for like a day, and then you lose everything, and then someone else grabs it, and they have it for a day, and they lose it all. And yeah, it's this senseless kind of like, um, yeah, I, I fundamentally, I suppose, a lack of of order, of discipline. This conception that people don't know where they want to be. Everyone has to be moving. Everyone has to be on top. Everyone has to be ambitious. And where does that end up? It's kind of like, it, it kind of a mess. <laughs> not that, not that useful for anyone really. Um, so yeah, who, who knows? Maybe Takeshi Kitano is just kind of like saying, like, try less. Just don't, don't worry about it so much. And I'm, I'm trying my best to try less. I got to be honest. I'm yeah, you know, it's it's a good, <laughs> good wholesome message to bring in your your gangster movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. I'll probably just stay in school until I keel over dead. That's my plan. Let's say that works. That's not bad. But th there are interesting points in these films too. Um. Like, I, I'm curious to go back and watch more of his early films again. Um, I've watched a few recently, like from the, the 90s, kind of like his, his, what you might describe as his golden era. Uh, but like this trilogy and also the previous trilogy we discussed, um, like his film language has become a little more, um, it's still, it's still very unfussy and uncluttered, which, you know, very distinctly kind of Katano. And Katano edits all of his own films. So I think he, he's very cognizant of how, to construct things to make his life as an editor very easy. His films is a really seamless kind of like quality to the way that shots follow into one another. But he's using a lot more camera movements and a lot more. Um, you know, I noticed particularly in the Outrage uh, trilogy, like Fade to Black, which I don't associate with his earlier films at all. I feel like all his his golden era films are all like hard cuts always and through everything. It's kind of interesting. It gives this kind of like. Um, there's a certain polish to these films. They have a certain kind of like mod more modern sweep to them, which uh, yeah, I, it's kind of interesting because Japanese movies through the 90s all kind of look cheap, even when they weren't sort of. I, I, it's a hard quality to describe. And I, I mean, I love the films. I'm not I don't mean this is like a, you know, denigration of them, but they all kind of have this sort of like they're like they're there aren't they aren't shiny they aren't nice looking they're they're all very kind of utilitarian looking productions some of them really were i mean takashi Miike films that were made for nothing you know a lot of the v cinema but like takeshi kitano was working with pretty decent theatric like they were theatrically budgeted films they're still you know like they're not shiny cool movies by any means but they still have that kind of grunge element to them um 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's just interesting to see how his his grammar has evolved a little bit. He seems like he's just he's there's still this very clean progression in these films, but just slightly more. Um, I I feel like he he kind of figured that the fade to black is actually kind of like kind of cool, and it kind of came in here. I think I think the first one I noticed was in Takeshi's. I think for the the bank raid that ended with uh where where he holds up the bank and then everyone starts hitting him up for money for like you know watching him hold up the bank and it kind of cuts to black at the end there fades to black and it's kind of like i don't i don't call that being a thing maybe maybe i'm wrong but um kind of kind of an interesting element within this thing one of one of the other stylistic elements i thought was actually kind of funny in this film is an outrage coda when the over the uh opening titles there's this like lovely shot of like a car driving through the city at night and all the reflections it's like you know the michael mann thief kind of shot you know all the mm-hmm. the neon lights reflecting off the the beautiful finish of the car in the night and this wonderful urban cool slick kind of image and i saw it and it's like it's it, nothing there i can think of no other image like that in a katano film like he's katano movies have a cool to them but it's not that kind of an urbane cool uh, and then i realized that the first section of outrage code is set in korea and I feel like, oh, he's like, this is his little nod to like Kim Ji-Woon and Park Chan-wook and these like guys who are much more into like cool kind of like film, you know, kind of like, you know, fancy, shiny pictures. Like it it felt to me like a very conscious joke about Korean cinema uh, <laughs> that, that Katana was just like sticking in there. But, oh, you know, completely innocuous unless you're quite well versed in Katana to kind of see that and go... I've never seen that before in one of his movies. That's very unusual. And then it's like, yes, we're in Korea. And it's like, oh, that's different. None of his other movies have been there either. So that's a kind of a, you know, absolutely. That's like a bittersweet life. You know, that that's where you see that stuff. Um, so, you know, which I think is funny. Kind of maybe Katana is not someone who I think of who spends a lot of time referencing other movies. He does some genre stuff, but, he, I, you know, I don't think he spends a lot of time joking about specific other directors or contemporaries so it's kind of interesting to see things like that sneak into again an otherwise fairly serious film i mean outrage coda is pretty much the the bitter pill at the end it's uh, like the the final everyone dies uh frenzy of the of the trilogy Mm -hmm. yeah i uh I, i think my biggest takeaway from all of this is uh I mean, one to your point, just just kind of watching these little stylistic flourishes that I don't think you see in in a lot of his other movies, but also uh, classic Kitano performance as Atoma. And thanks to Takeshi Kitano, I now know how to angrily call someone an asshole in Japanese, like no problem. Because I mean, that's probably about three fourths of his lines are him just calling someone an asshole. It's like a main. <laughs> it's a mainstay because I I've always wondered about that because uh, I think it's bagero is is like the the Japanese word for idiot. And if you mm-hmm. watch Japanese movies, you will hear it approximately eight hundred times per movie. Uh, and I never quite understood it because you know it gets translated as like idiot or fucker or motherfucker or you know you know shithead. Like there's varying degrees of like severity to it. And idiot, I think, is like the literal translation. I always felt like this, you know, everyone just calls each other idiots all the time. <laughs> but uh, what, what I've learned since, and I think, I think the, the kind of the underpinning of this is that in Japanese society, to call someone an idiot in front of other people is really like, it's total scorn. Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really serious. 
and Yakuza do it all the time. And it, it, the, the point being that, like, throughout the, the outrage films is, like, everyone is needling everyone else constantly and everyone is trying to flex. Like, it, it is kind of fascinating. And this is something that's broader than just Katano's films. It's, like, these, these dialectical games that they play where they kind of, like, two Yakuza, like, have a meeting and they're trying to, like, sort out an internal dispute and they'll, they'll kind of, like, trade off kind of, like bragging and kind of like trying to one-up each other on like how much of a fuck they don't give about any of this and then eventually they'll kind of like come to some kind of agreement and maybe money will change hand or someone will cut off a chunk of their finger you know but like there's there's like this whole process to it and i suppose the concept is that like that process is maybe the most wholesome thing they have <laughs> everything right. else doesn't work yep I yep. guess, like, Katano has even sort of that Mo haircut. This whole thing feels like uh, uh, Three Stooges at times. and <laughs> It's true. That's, yeah, there. it's just like, call someone an idiot and, like, biff them in the head. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of their interactions at the time. And it's just like, Steve, I think if you're going to employ his insult tactics, you've really got to master, like, the vocal modulation. Because that's the first outrage, especially, like, the first hour of the movie. It's just, like, a whole series of conversations where it's just, like, people are like, Hello, how are you doing today? Idiot! <laughs> it's like, you got to roll really your oars and stuff. It's really important. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the well, vocal and, inflection. And just the way... Like it, characters go from completely monotone to I, I think I think it's the second film where they have this uh, I, I'm it, I'm probably pronouncing it the American way but it's like Mister Fuse or something like that and uh, they yeah. they sit down and they're having this this like conversation because I guess the the way that you make a pact with your yakuza bro is you gotta like have sake with them and like make a deal. And they're they're sitting down and and these guys are just like yeah well we invited you here blah 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 and then all of a sudden somebody says something wrong and he's just like ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then it eventually turns into like Katato and this other guy like this guy's got a gun to Takato to uh, Takashi Katato's head he's just like fucking shoot me in the head you fuck and then the other guy is trying to defuse the situation. And the way he diffuses it, because, you know, if you're in the Yakuza and you fuck something up, you got to give a finger. So he literally just bites off the tip of his pinky right there and just spits it out. He's like, oh, everybody calm down. I just bit my fucking finger off. It's so and this good. is like a weird, a weird, like kind of like uh, echoing, because in the first film, that same character was set up by Katano's character in like a, one of these cruel grandstanding things where he was told to cut off his finger with a box cutter. And he couldn't because mm -hmm. a box cutter is not really very good for cutting a finger off not a very sturdy blade but he tries and it's like another horribly painful scene but it's like set up to be you know the guy is literally trying to cut his finger off to settle a score and he's being made to look weak like he can't cut his finger off and it's just this horrible yeah. power play and later on in the next film he bites his own finger off but what's also funny is in the first outrage film katano's character otoma at some point um also was like Oh, I need, you know, I need to cut a finger off. It's just, you know, we fucked up. We we need to close this out. So he wraps his finger in elastic bands to numb it, to like trap the blood in there to like, you know, kind of like numb the tip so that he can just cut it off painlessly. Which, yeah, again, just shows even for him as the old school Yakuza, like he understands this, like it's stupid. Like, is he, mm -hmm. why, you know, if you're just going to cut your finger off, you might as well like, you know, numb it up a bit first. Like, what the hell? What's the point, you know? Uh, th there's these various asides that kind of suggest that, you know, 
everything here is kind of negotiable depending on how savvy you are but like the fundamental is that there's just this vacuum at the center of the yakuza lifestyle now that there's you know, there, there, there's no basis for anything. Everything is constantly shifting because there's mm -hmm. no core value. And yeah. the violence that ensues from that is, is essentially what you get three films worth of that ultimately culminates in uh, Takeshi Kitano wandering into a birthday party or a, a, a welcome back party with a fucking machine gun and just like executing 70 men instantly, <laughs> which is like... Holy crap, which actually is kind of like similar to, was it, was it uh, Glory the Filmmaker that had that scene? I can't remember, it was Takeshi's, I think, had the scene where he ceremoniously murders yeah. a whole bunch of people on the beach in this hilarious, stupid slow motion shot. It's like he kind of does that for real in this movie, like as, a, as an as mm. serious, like in-story element. But I kind of, it kind of trades off this idea that the whole, the whole thing is kind of like beyond comedy at this point. It's like, the, I mean... This sort of there's always this just very dark comedy at the center of Katana's work. It, it is never surprising when you go back and recollect the man has struggled with depression. You watch his films and you're like, "Yep, that that would fit. That would seem to make sense to me." No, I don't. I kind of like the finger cutting off thing. I, I wish we could adopt that and and make it more prevalent uh, in in American society. Imagine if in like film criticism, every time somebody wrote something fucking stupid. They had to cut the tip of their finger off. They'd probably, you know, think twice about it. Uh, like every time, imagine like uh, Matt Neglia writes another review that reads <laughs> like the back of a cereal box and I, then he's got to give a pinky or, you know, fucking Jeff Wells says something stupid or uh, fucking Ehrlich is, is on his bullshit again. And every time just and, and the best part about that is they're writers. So eventually they just have to stop completely. Uh, and I guess that works in, in Yakuza culture, too, because, you know, what are you going to do if you don't have any fingers left? That's that's true. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be uh, one of the accountants or like the, the key, keep the minutes for the meetings at the Yakuza get together, you probably want to keep your fingers. You're one real careful yeah. guy in that role. Mm -hmm. Text to voice has not has not gotten far enough at this <laughs> point. So. Or you're just uh, shouting at their phone, calling it an idiot <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be great. Speaking, speaking of right. phones and Outrage Coda, 2017, a lot of flip phones. Japanese oh, yeah, still really phones. love the flip phones. I wonder, is, yeah. is that like a, a thing to, is, is it like the Japanese love flip phones? I genuinely don't know. Or is it like their version of using a burner phone? Because I know I, I, when I was be. watching uh, uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, uh, the, the girl who is like, like an FBI informant or whatever, she's using like a fucking Motorola razor. Um, and, and I assume that it's because I, I don't know, are they harder to track or something? I don't fucking know how that shit works. I guess they don't have GPS, right? I got no clue. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, I, I haven't committed that. an act of domestic terrorism in, in years. So it, we should, we should do, do our next episode just dedicated to the anarchist cookbook. Let's just, Dig that back up. Have a, an old I discussion. have a copy of it. I, I yeah. do. I have a copy of it. Yeah. I think every teenager got a copy of it and read through bits and pieces. And was like, well, this seems like I shouldn't know about this stuff. But who, you know, you always oh, hear that one yeah. story about one guy who made something and blew his hand off. But like most people. Oh, because half the shit doesn't work. That's the problem. It feels like a fucking <laughs> psyop. If you try and build something from there, it's like, here's how to make a gun out of a pipe. And you're like, fuck yeah. So you're not going to assassinate the fucking, you know, prime minister of Japan. You're going to blow your goddamn hand off. Uh, but yeah, I, I got, I actually got mine at a Barnes and Noble because uh, it, it's fucking <laughs> hilarious. They had, they had, they used to have this big, like 
dump bin, essentially. Same how you would walk into a Walmart and say, here's the $5 DVD bin. It's just like, hit books, $5. It was always, you know, the same bullshit. Fucking the Goldfinch or whatever and all these other, like, New York Times bestsellers. And then just, they also had the anarchist cookbook. So I was like, $5, sign me the fuck up. Uh, but yeah, not, not particularly useful as far as I can tell. Uh, so what is this? Is this meant to be your like Ted Kaczynski memorial episode? Oh, that's right. Oh, we lost, yeah. we lost old Ted. Ted. Yeah. yeah. Proud I grad mean, of U of M. <laughs> <laughs> Proud graduate of the university of Michigan. I don't know. I go through, go through Ted's writings. Uh, when, when has Ted been wrong? Really? It pointed out to me. <laughs> We're about to go on a fucking watch list. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we should probably wrap this up uh, before the FBI knocks on my door. So, Marius, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I am I'm going back to games in, in a way that is not uh, conducive to the gamers because I, I was derailed because Sony gave away fucking NBA 2K23, and I always like to poke my head in on those because I'm, I'm addicted to like management simulation bullshit with sports, but I don't know for, for about, I would say a good 10 years. I, I feel like the franchise modes in these games have, have slowly been whittled away and uh, people don't give a shit about them because uh, I don't know. I guess they like playing multiplayer uh, with their created guys or something. I, that sounds like hell to me, but that's, that's what the people like to do, I guess. And the companies can charge them endless uh, dollars to boost their stats and it, it it's disgusting but the point is out of the blue i don't know if they just like streamline and merge several modes together but the the franchise mode in this new 2k is unbelievable it's like uh a quantum leap from from what i had seen in the, in the last time i had played this series which was probably two years ago or something and I think even stronger than it, than it used to be back back when I was a a young man, and that that was kind of the mode du jour and really uh, feature rich. And I don't know, all my complaints they've been answered. This is uh, mm. if you're the sort who likes to you know burn countless hours making f- fake trades. Uh, I got to tell you, this this new two K uh might be up your alley because boy i'm, I'm kind of scared how much time i'm going to waste on it <laughs> jack what are you putting over this week well first i'll say i i enjoy good uh soccer management game i used to play those a lot when i was younger I haven't played one for years but when it came to nba i was always about just making just an absolutely hideous lanky freak with a porn stash and just uh slam dunking on everyone that's that's my preferred play style, but then again, yep. the only NBA game I ever played was NBA 97, and everything I'm I know glad, about uh, basketball is from that specific game. <laughs> the NBA Bulls were Live good, but it's, uh, it's, it's number 23. It's not Michael Jordan, because you couldn't use his name in, in the game. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, I totally agree with you. Anytime I would make a creative player in an NBA game or an NCAA game, uh, they're always like seven foot seven and yep. like 500 pounds, massive afro, huge mustache, hairy fucking chest and then i would go through because um at some point like early 2000s mid 2000s they uh they they got around to the technology where it's like every single 
NBA player's name ever was just like loaded into the game. So you could just make ridiculous Mad Lib name combinations. So it's like, oh, my character's name this year is Fats Falu. <laughs> and they would actually announce it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this mode even goes back. You can start a franchise from like 1983 on. It's, it's wild. I got to tell you, the thing, I, I, I'm shocked. I, I have decried these games for many years, but some, they... Damn, maybe maybe something. I should start in 1997, the one year of basketball I know a little something about, and then yeah, I like yeah, it. get in there. But anyway, I'm going to put over, <laughs> as a movie, I'm going to put over Andrew Bajalski's Funny Ha Ha from 2002, which I somehow have never seen before, and watching it the other day, it was like, it's like a Rosetta Stone for American independent cinema. It's like... I just realized this is like the, the locus of like every impulse of the last 20 years in this one movie, which is, of course, famously the first mumblecore film and certainly the best mumblecore film I've seen if mumblecore is a real thing, which is Bajowski made Bajowski notably. Uh, he didn't term the name, but he popularized it. And that was because he asked his uh, sound guy for a stupid name for the kind of movies they made. And he said Mumblecore, and he thought it was really funny, so he repeated it in an interview, and next thing he knew, everyone was like, oh, Mumblecore is a new thing in American cinema, and he was, like, quite upset by that. But, you know, so it goes. But, um, really great movie, absolutely, like, kind of, like, links in, like, from The Office UK in 2001 to this, to, like, the next 20 years of, like, awkward, stammering, kind of, like uncertain future comedy it's it's in there and it is a really funny film and it is completely listless and aimless there's no you know you don't know where anyone's going it stays true to that so yeah funny haha it came out on a factory 25 put out a new blu-ray which looks fantastic although god only knows what the way these things are going movies already sold out i can't even keep up with this crap anymore home video <laughs> is just nonsense now so yeah, uh yeah. but if you can get a copy you should it's good it is good uh, yeah, Bajowski's great. Uh, Support the Girls. When, when did that come out? Like 2018? That, I mean, that was one of my favorite movies of that year for sure. And, I was hoping uh, that would make... Was great. Yeah, I was hoping Support the Girls would make him like... That seemed like kind of a hit. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. he got a job like writing uh, like Lady and the Tramp for Disney. I think he did a script <laughs> treatment of that. And then he has a new film, which the name escapes me, which passed through Chicago and I didn't even notice. I was like, I found out the day it played. Like the night of... It was like, hey, we're here for this. And it's like I was sitting at home looking at Twitter going, what? What? I didn't know this was happening. So it's kind of a yeah. shame. I was uh, So I'll need to track that down. But I was kind of hoping he'd like support the girls. Feels like the movie that should, you know, be bringing them to the masses. But it, it didn't work out. But anyone I who hasn't seen Sport the him, Girls. I, I keep waiting for him to have a moment, you know? Like, well, yeah. Er, early you know? 2000s, like he does Funny haha, -ha and then Mutual Appreciation, both of which are great, both of which were, were critically acclaimed. Uh years later support the girls felt like it was i mean still definitely him it's his type of movie but it, it felt like it had a, a mainstream arc to it but it, it's it's bizarre like i i thought he was gonna have like a noah Baumbach type trajectory but he, he just never has but uh, all, i mean all of his shit is great fucking watch some andrew bajowski movies it's, it's, it's good shit um anyways what am i putting over great question uh <laughs> I mean, you you put over some some real like legitimate stuff. I'm gonna put over uh, something that that many may find not so legit, but you you are wrong. You're a big dumb fucking idiot if you don't like this, uh, gentlemen. We've all seen Hard Target, yes. Sure, of course. Sure, sure. But have you seen Hard Target Two? 
You know, that is on the list. Isn't that on Netflix? Is that like a Netflix-owned film, or is it, it is, just it always is on there? It's on our favorite streaming service, Tubi. Oh. Um, it, it is goddamn great. It's cheap, uh, especially a lot of the handheld stuff. Looks like it was done with a GoPro. Uh, but it's classic direct-to-video action. Uh, it stars Scott Adkins. It's from 2016, so we're like peak Adkins at this point. Uh, he's fucking great. He kicks a bunch of ass. It's it's got Rona Mitra in it. Uh, it's directed by uh, Roel René. Who, if you don't know who this Frenchman is, this guy does some real optimism vaccine ass shit. <laughs> we should probably do an episode on him sometime. But his whole thing is he he gets the rights to established franchises or, or established films that don't necessarily need another sequel, and then he makes that sequel. So. Hard Target 2, obviously, Death Race 2, Death Race 3, The Scorpion King 3, uh, The Man with the Iron Fist 2, Condemn 2, The Marine 2, 12 Rounds 2, it, you know, you can kind of... 12 Rounds 2. Yeah. Behind 20... Enemy Lines, colon, SEAL Team 8, like all this shit. <laughs> like, nobody needs any of this. But the thing is, they're not all great. They're not all hits. But this guy, he's got some chops. Like, he, he can fucking put it together, especially when he's got a decent cast. Um, But yeah... Against all odds, Hard Target 2 is it's super fun. It's got some great action in it. Adkins is wonderful. Uh, just really good DTV stuff that feels like something out of the late 80s or early 90s, but um, obviously made in 2016. And yeah, just super fucking underrated. And under no circumstances would anyone be like, yeah, Hard Target 2. But I'm telling you, Hard Target fucking 2. Also, there's another reason why it feels like it's from the 1980s is re remember when all those action movies from the 80s and early 90s uh, would have that bizarre like Asian mysticism element where it's like you, you don't. Why, why is this here? That's definitely fucking here in our target, too. Wow, that's real. That's that, that's really recent to bring that in. Yeah, it's I don't know. What it, was that it, terrible it feels... Nick Cage movie that had that shit all over it? Oh, it's true. And Nick Cage is kind of his own thing, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. It's wild. So Why can't I, I remember the name of that movie where Nick Cage is like fighting some alien in a portal or something? Oh, shit. What was that? That's from like five years ago or something? Yeah, it's I know shitty. the movie you're talking about, and I cannot think of what it's called either. Uh, I think shit. we did an episode featuring it. Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, I think that might be 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the one. That's the one. It's hard to keep up with him. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's got a little bit of that, uh, but not not really in a way that, that ties directly into the plot like jujitsu. Like, it feels like in jujitsu, it's part of who Nicolas Cage is. With this, it's just like, no, let's just be fucking weird around a Buddha statue with some lady. It's just fucking weird, man. But it's great. It's it's really good shit. It's fun. Uh, Jack, I, maybe you should have a, a, a couple beers tonight. Throw this one on. You'll have a good time. Uh, yeah, I would say I'm sleep deprived. It'd be a good film to nod off to. I'm oh, sure. fuck yeah, fuck yeah, definitely not off to this one. It'll it'll treat you well. Uh, well, I, I think that about wraps things up for us. So, if you are listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor. There's a link that you can click in the description, and that will take you to our Patreon page. And you should go to our Patreon page because you can give us money. How fucking fun would that be to give us money? Helps pay for this podcast because hosting ain't cheap podcasting ain't cheap we got bills to pay uh we gotta we gotta buy myros more guns right you need guns right myros 
Uh, no, I, I don't. Just because the FBI is listening, come on. <laughs> wink, I think the, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the FBI are selling quite a lot of the guns going online. So yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, so the, yeah, I mean, if we got that cookbook, what do we need to buy guns for? We're going to yeah. make them. Let's we're yeah, just them. you know what, and and you could if if you were to donate just a few dollars, let me tell you what that'll get you. First of all, it'll get you access to our Patreon, where there's. Uh, patron exclusive content like old written articles, old podcasts you can only get there, and brand new podcasts that we only make for our beautiful, wonderful patrons like you. And just for a couple of dollars, my God, if we were to get three new patrons, I think that would get you a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook, Myro, so you could finally make a landmine. How long have you been waiting to do that? What what would one even do with a landmine? <laughs> I, I don't I know. You keep talking about it. You would partially you bury it somewhere strategically that you you yeah. wish to defend. But what like else in, is like in your walkway for non, to keep the mailman out? Owners. You know, if you own a dog, you shouldn't be building landmines. <laughs> I'm not telling. I listen, listen. This is this is between you and God. You're the one who keeps talking about building a landmine. Uh, so yeah, yeah. My my favorite my favorite anarchist cookbook one was always the one about. Uh, Fitting, fitting light bulbs to turn them into like napalm explosives when you turn them on. I was like, yeah, I just think like in a country where you can just buy a gun, I'm just not sure why anyone would expend this effort just to be like drilling little holes in light bulbs. Like, no, just <laughs> this is insane. But I don't know, yeah. anarchists beat to the beat their own drum. I suppose they got to go their own way. Yeah, well, I'm going to defeat Freddy Krueger, Jay. You know what? If, if you imagine Freddy Krueger as your adversary, the anarchist cookbook probably makes a hell of a lot more sense as a, a thing to read. <laughs> also, it was written like 40 or 50 years ago, so it wasn't like you could just like, you know, go to Florida and buy a machine gun on Craigslist like you can now, and it's totally fucking legal. <laughs> it's, it's true. The whole country went downhill to meet the anarchist cookbook to make it, make it no, like, less useful. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, anyways, where was I? Oh yeah. All the, all the stuff you can buy for Adam Myros. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, if you want to donate at a, at a higher level, uh, oh, I should mention too, if you donate at any level, I will mail you, if you live in the continental United States, I will mail you a movie from my personal collection. Uh, just put out a, a new one in the mail for a, a recent patron. So yeah, you could be next. I still got some good shit. We haven't gotten down to the dregs yet. There's, there's still some solid stuff. So, uh, yeah. And then if you donate at a higher level, like $5, for instance, uh, not only would that instantly get Adam Myros a copy of the anarchist cookbook, but, uh, you would get your, you get your name read out on the air. And how fun is that? So who are, who are five and above donors right now? Adam Myros. Uh, we have Sam, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Oh, God bless every one of them. Now, on top of that, at that $5 level, you get to vote in polls, too. So we occasionally, we will turn to our patrons, we'll give you a list of topics, uh, or in some cases, a list of, of cryptic phrases that you will have to interpret as, po as topics. And uh, yeah, you get to vote on what a new episode will be. And then if you really want to be a ride or die optimism vaccine guy or gal, uh, you can donate at the $25 level. And whether that's a one-time thing and you want to drop back down to a lower level, or if you want to keep it reoccurring, we appreciate it either way. What that does is it allows you to choose a fucking episode. Okay. And uh, we, we actually had a, a recent $25 donor and next week we're going to have a, uh, a patron chosen episode. So, uh, and per usual, our, our patrons treat us better than we treat ourselves. Imagine that. So, 
<laughs> no, I think I think it's mostly you, Steve. I think it's uh Oh yeah, we we've talked about this. this is all part of my like deep seated issue with like what will upset Myros the most. And that's <laughs> kind of like how I, I choose things. But uh, you know, you know, I don't know. We've been doing some good shit lately. It's not it's not all bad. It sounds uh, like it sounds like we, uh, we should team up with Colin to do a Final Fantasy episode with Adam. Just force him to play one of those games. <laughs> oh we don't do a video game podcast here, Jack. No, uh, no, that we could do a movie podcast when, yeah, when I'm the gone. Spirits within. <laughs> yeah, the Jesus. Spirits Within, and that fucking what's the sequel? What's the speak, sequel to the Spirits Within? Uh, who the there fuck? Was Ad, I know there's a sequel. There was Advent, Advent Children. Children. Was a seven. Yeah. Was I think a, yeah, man, that was absolutely incomprehensible. Good stuff. Yeah, Adam Myers, Great you, you tell me you don't you don't pop that pussy for Advent Children? Come on, man. Uh I I couldn't tell you what the hell it is. I remember the spirits within. <laughs> well, I, I mean, someone could do that if you want to give us $25. Uh, this would be perfect because uh, yeah, I'm gonna be in uh, out of the country for a couple weeks. So what a great time for you guys to watch Final Fantasy movies. Just something to think about. Uh yeah, I, I think if you if you have any uh, questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com would be a great place to send those. Uh, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. And uh, yeah, I think that about wraps things up for this week. So that's it. Another strong conclusion there. Uh, that's it. Fucking done. Fucking deal with it.